Hey, I bet you that was really confusing for you. It's confusing for me too. These are strange times. Anyways, today, uh, things are a bit different. We're doing our first repeat episode. This episode is uh, my personal favorite. Uh, well, among one of them, it's episode 33 with Sean Giovanni. Uh, we cover a bunch of stuff. I mean, Sean is a record producer from Nashville, Tennessee, and he owns his own studio, like an actual legit studio. Uh, has multiple engineers, has worked with some crazy people. Um, but not only that, he has a website called mindmaptribe.com, mindmaptribe.com. Um, and it's a course that him and a motivational speaker named Ricky Mendez put together. This guy be hustling hard. Uh, but the whole point of this website is to, you know, get your business shit together. But it's specifically for creatives. So all of the advice in this episode is super handy in that regard. And he talks about, it's a lot about business, but it's a lot about goals. It's a lot about uh, achieving things. Uh, but it's not like sort of up in the air, hard to define things. He gives you specific examples in this episode. And obviously, I'm sure he does in his course. Specifically look out for, um, I believe it's the prosperity plan. Anyways, enjoy this. Al's obviously in the episode. Al will continue to be here. It's just, you know, I'm to do this intro today. Uh, we're rolling out some new and exciting stuff in the next few weeks. That's why we're doing this repeat. So uh, enjoy. Yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Music Guy podcast. The podcast about a couple of guys working in the music industry here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Al Rowe. I'm a music guy. I play guitar. I sing. I work with artists. I write songs. I make records. Broadcasting to you uh, from downtown Liberty Village here in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm happy to be joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Michael Hebbs, coming at you from Markham, Ontario. And we are both super pleased to be joined by a very special guest this week, Mr. Sean Giovanni. From uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the show, Sean. What's happening, guys? How are you doing? Great, man. Oh, Great. You know. Sean is uh, the owner and founder of a recording studio called The Record Shop in Nashville. He is a NAM show panelist, speaker at Belmont, MTSU, SAE, the Recording Academy, among other countless community groups. Uh, and he is the co-founder of MindMap, an online training course designed to help artists find their own unique intersection of art and commerce to fuel longevity in their career. That second one's important. Yeah. Commerce, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. I've struggled with commerce. Fuck that one up. Yeah, I've struggled with commerce. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um, and uh, some pretty cool recording credits as well uh, to, to his name. Sean's worked with uh, the likes of uh, Randy Hauser, Meatloaf, Zach Wild, Big and Rich, to name a few. So uh, some some really cool stuff there. Um, Sean, how are you, man? I am doing fantastic. How are you guys? Oh, Hanging no. in. Just quarantining, doing COVID. Yeah. Trying to be productive, <laughs> maybe make some money. <laughs> I, I feel that. I, uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, opportunity that can be found in a crisis like this, and that's what we've been trying to I, – I, me and my team have been trying to focus our energy and perspective on. This is true. This is true. A lot of people are like, oh, everything's ruined now, and it's like, 
Well, I mean, you can focus more on on things like Instagram and Facebook and just getting the word out there. I know a lot of people have neglected that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you live in a entrepreneurial spirit around your art, um, this has changed maybe some of the ways in which we bring in revenue, but we're always on the hunt for new ways to expand our reach to clients, our audience, um, to, to fans in uh, our business. And so that hasn't changed at all. We're just doing it in a slightly more distance manner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's also cool because it's like, you're not just one thing, you know, you're like, you're able to do a variety of things. Therefore you have, you know, uh, diverse income, I guess. Right. Which is a very important part of the uh, entertainment industry in general, regardless of what side of the, uh, the business you're in. Uh, you know, even even artists, you know, they're they're generating revenue from multiple different uh, places, and uh, when one comes down, look for another opportunity to to find something in a different place. Yeah, we found that happen uh, significantly recently with live streaming. So when all of this sure. went down, we uh, we started making our our studio available to artists to come in and stream, and uh, some of the I would say mid level up and coming kind of artists um, in town that would be playing local shows and kind of you know making some tips and that sort of thing and bringing in, you know, some decent dough, go live and, uh, and are, are making, uh, multiples of what they would make and just playing a show in town. And, uh, yeah. and they're just from, you know, from a economic standpoint, but they're also building a, building a fan base of people that are online looking for stuff. And, uh, it's been, it's become a bit crowded in the past couple of months, but there's still a ton of opportunity. Yeah. In, in a bar, right? Like no one's going to look you up afterwards, but on the live stream, they, they can easily. That's really clever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely another way of uh, you know of connection, and uh, some of the venues have actually joined that um, uh, charge as well, uh, partnering with artists uh, to help them set up live streams, and then we've raised money for for um, through tips to uh, to pay the bartenders that are out of work and help the service industry employees and stuff, and uh, work with some charities. So there's a lot of good that is that has come out of that. Um, I yeah. think. Yeah, that's excellent. That's uh, definitely something that I don't. I don't see in a lot of musicians and I'm guilty of it myself is almost that entrepreneurial, like, well, okay, this is the situation, but how can I, you know, still do what I'm doing, you know, maximize, uh, you know, my, not revenue, but just my productivity with it. Maybe revenue too. Absolutely. Yeah. How how have you guys been able to actually work? Like, I I guess I'm talking like on a, on a hands-on level, like how have you been able to record people, remotely and sort of make this whole thing of a recording studio happen when you can't get together with people in the same room? Well, a little bit of it is, is kind of how the, uh, my business was built. Uh, early on in my career, I had to do a lot of different things to be able to pay the bills and get things rolling. Yeah. So I learned how to dabble in a, you know, in a few different things. And I'm also in a uh, major music town like Nashville where there's people from all over the world that over the years have come here to collaborate with us. And uh, also people that, uh, that don't come here, but that just send us files that we collaborate with online. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, we've been doing a lot of that remote stuff already. Uh, now it was just a, a very quick transition into studio can't be booked anymore. So how do we kind of transition everything into remote work? Uh, and there, yeah. there's, there's definitely a little bit of a transitional period with that because as creatives, we love to, the energy of being in a room together. And that's really the, like the magic of a studio is bringing people together and letting you know, letting God walk through the room and magic happen, you know? Uh, and so that, that was a 
bit of a transition for some people, but I've been pretty comfortable in this virtual environment because I've been working with artists around the world for years in a virtual setting. Mm. And we'll do a lot of pre-production before they come into town if it's a, if it's an artist from out of town. Or we'll collaborate with uh, like DJs in the UK that look for artists to top line their uh, their tracks and then um, promote them out in the clubs uh, in, you know, in that market. So there, that we, we kind of had that foundation already, which we're really fortunate to have. Uh, some of the, I guess, new things that we implemented – uh, one thing is we have a mobile recording rig that we use to to record concerts and uh, showcases and on location recording. So I thought uh, there's there's artists that uh, that want to that want to keep working. They're at home. They're writing, but they don't have a great microphone or a really great uh, interface or nice preamps, um, and they may not be uh, great at recording themselves while they're recording. And you know, a lot of people are used to kind of working from from home, but others are not as comfortable with that, and they want to be able to come in the studio to have someone help them with that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, how can we use technology to, to bridge the gap? So I put together a rig uh, consisting of a, a Antelope audio interface and, uh, and preamps and uh, a couple different microphones dependent upon the artist, and then they could come by and pick it up, take it to their place, and then through uh, Zoom um, using the uh, screen control option on there, and then through the audio movers plugin, uh, I was able to stream the audio from that Pro Tools rig at their home into my studio and uh, run Pro Tools while they were in their room recording with uh, really great equipment. So wow. that was kind of a unique way that we found a found a solution to help people, uh, you know, keep rolling. And uh, and then the other thing that is great about being in Nashville is that you know we, we have some of the best session musicians in the world and. For a while, they've been uh, becoming. It's becoming more of a norm for them to be able to record remotely already. So a lot of them have really great, um, you know, studio setups that are that are comparable to what you'd find in a you know in a commercial room as far as microphones and a, and a really nice signal chain goes. So we can jump on Zoom with the artist uh, in California and the guitar player that's um, on the other side of town and me in the studio and uh, can work together to be able to work through tracks and and keep things uh, keep things rolling. That's so cool. Yeah, that's brilliant. So you can literally control remotely a, a Pro Tools setup that's that's in somebody else's house. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be amazed that that technology exists. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's like you said, we're all used to being in a room together and hanging out, and that, that whole vibe uh, is, is just what we're used to. But, um, I, you know, that's sort of the final uh, snag in the whole idea, because even up here we're sort of experimenting with... Uh, uh, yeah, just sending each other files and layering things up. But it's like if I want to get the vocalist to get some great sound and, and a great to coach a great performance out of them, uh, I really need to be there, you know. So yeah, I'm gonna have yeah. to check out this. Uh, is Audio Mover you said was the name of the software? Yeah, yeah, Audio Movers, wow. and that allows you to stream from your DAW uh, either to another DAW. Uh, or to a uh, independent uh, site that then you can stream the the audio to. That's like a must have for the quarantine. We've also been able to use that for uh, for like mix revisions and uh, just doing tweaks on stuff, and someone can hear you know while I'm while I'm working on on something. Um, I've actually helped a couple artists that were recording at home um, mix some of their stuff. Uh, they they got a, a pretty solid like rough mix going and for like a you know cover song they were going to throw up on YouTube but wanted to tighten it up and and didn't really need me to like remix the entire thing so we jumped on Zoom I took control of their screen and just helped them and used audio movers to stream the uh, the audio in and then just helped them kind of finalize their mix and stuff and we've we've done that with a few people and like how's the latency like do you put, hit play and then it's like 
two steamboats before you hear anything? Or like, is it pretty responsive? Depends a little bit on the internet connection, but the latency is very low for what I would expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right on, man. That'd be a great uh, teaching tool as well. Eh? If, if I don't know if you take students online for production and stuff, but I bet you that'd be a great way to do that whole yep. thing. Yeah, it has been. Um, one of my interns right now is you know not able to hang out in the studio every day, and I've been helping her with her with her logic rig. So we'll we'll jump on Zoom. I'll be able to pull up her screen and uh, and show her you know some uh, some tricks and uh, watch her as she's working and give her some advice. Uh, I also teach for a school called the Recording Connection. That's a um, a mentorship based um, audio engineering program. Uh, so they do online coursework and then they come in and hang out with me in the studio and get to learn in a one-on-one scenario. Uh, so they're not in a classroom with a bunch of other people and it's a very customized um, educational process. Uh, yeah. So this, uh, I had a couple students that were finishing up right when this started and we just were able to transition from what we were doing in the room together to uh, using this technology to allow them to to keep learning and working from home. Yeah, no, that's uh, unreal. The The diversity of the things that you do like that is so smart i mean we've been kind of preaching about that uh on this podcast the whole time just like you can't you could be just one thing but like good luck you know if you have a bunch of things yeah. that you do within that thing it's way better absolutely well the way that i talk about it is is finding your niche and then diversifying your value my mission oh. is to help artists achieve their their artistic vision and create art that will outlast us and that's the mission that I tell myself every time I walk into a studio, set up a session, start working on a song. Uh, anytime I face adversity, I go back to that um, mantra and and look yeah. at that. And so when I was starting my career and, and figuring out how I was going to um, have a sustainable career in a in a uh, volatile industry that was always continuing to change, I wanted to be able to um, have the resources to be able to achieve that mission on a daily basis. So that's what really extended into these different things. It was a little bit out of necessity, but it was more yes. what I found quickly is that you can't be a, a decent at a bunch of stuff. You got to really find something that you that you master. And what I focused yeah. on was really co- co- the collaborative effort of a producer working with an artist. And then over time that expanded into, you know, a lot of different uh, different outlets, but it's all centered around that one thing. Yes, they feed each other, right? Like it's not like you're, you know, uh, I don't know, working on like video editing, you know, nine, 90% of the time. And then you only get to record. It's like, it's all around recording and production and working with artists and developing them and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And I learned quickly that, that artists need all of that other stuff too, that, you know, they need a, a video team, they need a digital media team, they need a marketing team. Uh, but I'm not a professional at, at those things, but I, I know enough to be able to surround themselves with to surround my artists with professionals at that. So yes. I, uh, I act as a bit of a resource for them. And then I put the team together and then help oversee the creative process as be- being a producer that has a great relationship with the artist. I understand their, their vision and what they're going for. And I know enough of the terminology and these different aspects of the industry to help guide whoever the expert is in that specific field. Uh, and then it's a collaborative effort to work with the artist and help take uh, the, the songs that we're creating and then apply the visuals to it and apply the marketing, you know, around it. Uh, and for me, I, I'm just, I want to be in a constant state of learning. And I, I found that through doing that, my mind gets open up to more creative thoughts and ideas and problem solving. And uh, it's, it's only been, been an advantage, but I think there definitely is a, um, a uh, careful thought process that needs to go into that to make sure that we're not extending ourselves too far into things that we're 
not professionals at just for the sake yeah. of trying to find another gig. Yeah, or save a quick buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, putting together a good team of people that you could trust and build relationships with is is so important, right? And to be able to, yeah, just to be able to put your project in someone else's hands and, and be like, this is going to be okay if I, you know, hire this video guy. I know I can communicate with him and I know he's going to do a good job or she's going to do a good job for me. And, and uh, how long did it take you to build those sort of relationships and, and find those those sort of people to uh, to build this whole team around? Well, finding people is not challenging in a town like Nashville. Mm. There's plenty of people in every aspect of the industry that are moving to town every day um, looking for opportunity. Uh, the 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 careful thing that took a little bit more time was finding the right people that had the same intentions, the same vision, and the same business philosophy as I did. And uh, that just what happens over time. Uh, just being open to to meeting new people, to learning what people's needs are, and seeing how I can provide value to to what they do, and um, if they can provide value to the things that the the clients that we have need. And then if there's a collaboration there that makes sense and there's synergy between the mission that we have, um, then, then, you know, we work with them. Uh, I, I, I didn't necessarily look at needing to find like one person for each thing. It was more just, you know, expand the, the resources that I can pull from. And when I'm looking for something specific, let me find the person that's the best at that, that one mm-hmm. thing and, uh, you know, and bring them in. Uh, and then, so I would say that, you know, it, it didn't take much time to find people. Uh, there's plenty of that in Nashville, but to find the right people, you know, probably a, a year or two before I really started finding momentum within the, you know, finding who was working, who, who, who wasn't working, you know, as far as just, you know, personalities and work ethic and, uh, and, yeah. and, um, just connection and that sort of thing. Uh, and then over time, you know, you, you meet new people and some people that you had, you know, great relationships with, maybe their business is evolving in a different direction and, uh, you know, you find someone new. So, um, I'm always on the hunt and looking for new people to collaborate with and, uh, it's it's awesome. It it makes the journey a lot more exciting. I just I love meeting new people and learning about what makes them uh, passionate. And if there's something yep. that I can do to help them uh, become profitable through that passion, then I love supporting that. That's a greatest fulfillment for me. I'm curious. Uh, you've got so many things going on. You've got such a wide, uh, seemingly wide uh, skill set and so, and so much experience in all these different areas. I'm just curious how all these sort of dominoes fell into place for you. Uh, can we go back and do the the origin story a little bit? I know you were you're from uh, uh, Michigan originally. When did you know yep. that? Like, did you start off maybe as a singer songwriter, guitar player, or something, or were you always like, I want to be a producer? And then you moved to Nashville uh, 14 years ago. So how how did you plant your flag and start building this? And and how did those pieces fall into place for you? Um, it's interesting. I think I have a, a pretty um a unique story in that in that regard that kind of went in a you know in a few different directions. My uh, first memory of like really enjoying a, the creative process of making music was in first grade. I was in elementary school and and the the school had a had an art um, I guess contest called the Reflections Contest. And there were different categories. You could paint a picture, you could write a song, um, you could write a, a poem or a short story or that sort of thing. And uh, I decided to enter and, and write in a song, and uh, and so I, I wrote a rap song. I used this uh, this little like beatbox thing that, that was like handheld, and you press a button and like it makes a beat, and then you can talk into it, and it would record it on a cassette tape. Nice, uh, it was pretty crazy. And uh, and so I wrote this little this little rap. The the topic was don't do drugs, so I wrote the drug free rap. And um, naturally, I won first place, uh, and it was yeah. it, it was pretty cool. Uh, 
and there were there were a few things that that I look back on now that I really gained for, from that the, that started to um, it was much later when I decided I was going to have a career in the music industry, uh, but it solidified a lot of things for me about the power of music. Uh, when I was in elementary school, um, I was a bit taller than the other kids. I had big curly hair. Um, I was a easy target for, you know, getting picked on a little bit. I wouldn't say that I had any like really horrendous, like bullying stories or whatever, but I wasn't part of the cool crowd when I was in first, second, third grade, you know? And, uh, that day when I, um, won that award and, and, and walked in front of the assembly and the whole school and got the little tiny trophy that's sitting over in my lounge, uh, today, uh, my first music award, uh, I, we were walking (laughs) back to class and, uh, you know, the cool kids that, that I uh, had wanted to be around were now walking um, step by step next to me. And I have this really weird memory where I looked down and I saw that like our feet were moving in the same direction. And I felt like this connection to like, you know, a crowd in a certain way. Um, and it, uh, I guess what I, what I see from, from that is just sort of like how music could um, showcase what was kind of like unique and special about me. And so I felt like even though I wasn't like part, maybe part of like their kind of like, you know, friend group or whatever, the music that I'd created had an impact that found a connection between us. Mm. And that, that showed me kind of the power of music. Um, and it, it wasn't at all a thing about like be- becoming popular, but it showed me the power of music, music and connection, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting and kind of bridging the gap between people. Um, but I didn't really recognize that until way later on in life, but that one memory stuck with me and I always wondered why. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of kind of why, or what my little brain was thinking, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I um I always had a, a passion for music through elementary school. I was really fortunate because our school um, actually had a music class, uh, and it wasn't like an elective class; it was just part of our education. So we learned basic music theory. Um, we learned a lot about orchestral instruments and how they can be used to uh, create uh, a scene. Or to, to create sounds, you know, in the way that uh, yeah. that old recordings were, were used to sort of tell a narrative. So they, they would play a, a certain orchestral instrument that would be mimicking a certain type of sound, and then we'd have to guess what that instrument was. Uh, I found that to be really interesting. And then, of course, like we learned the recorder, like you know every other kid did. Mm-hmm. Um, of but it, but it was a it was a class that um that was part of our curriculum, which was really cool. So I got that foundation, and I and I I started to pay more attention to to music. Um, and my dad was a huge music fan. He, uh, he listened to all kinds of different music. And uh, so as I continued to grow up, he would take me to like a Jimmy Page concert or a, um, a Snoop Dogg and Master P concert, uh, a Matchbox 20 concert, a Rob Zombie concert. Oh, yeah. You know, just like across the board, all kinds of different music. He was just a big fan of music. And uh, there were some of the music that he liked to listen to that I didn't necessarily appreciate right away when I was, when I was young. I was like, oh, this isn't cool. It's, you know... The, the old stuff, but it's all the, like the, you know, the classic stuff now that, you know, that I, that I love. But what that opened me up to was the power of music in a, uh, in all the different aspects of how it can become a soundtrack to our lives and our experiences. And so I started thinking about music less as like an individual instrument, uh, and more about the collection of things. And I think that's where my interest and passion for producing, um, you know, came. Uh, so get a little bit older. I, I took some guitar lessons. I was like, decent at that but i wasn't like totally in love with it and then i saw this guy dj scribble on um spring, on mtv spring break and uh, i saw him he was he was djing in the in somewhere like cancun or something and uh there's a whole huge crowd of people everybody and he's 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 the life of the party you know the one that's um that's that's getting everybody to dance and i thought that was so cool and he just got to sit up there and just play music uh you know that he loved so i got into djing a little bit um i uh saved up some money and uh 
was able to negotiate a, a small loan from my parents uh, and had to send them this little, uh, give them, write out a, a loan application letter to them. And it was kind of my, one of my first uh, lessons in business. And yeah. uh, they, they fronted me the money that I was going to earn from cutting grass that summer to buy a couple turntables and a mixer. And I, and I, I started collecting records and I started learning about um, uh, mixing, like scratching records, but also like matching beats and, and being able to, you know, to DJ in that sense. And so through that, I was just sitting in my room every day, just listening to all kinds of music. And uh, I really just started to think about like why music made me feel a certain way, why the sound sounded that way. Uh, and then that intrigued me to want to start making recordings. So the next sort of little investment that I made as a, as a kid was into a four, four track cassette recorder. And that was my introduction into, into engineering. Uh, and so that was around middle school. And at that, at that time, um, I was either going to be uh, an NHL uh, hockey player or I was going to uh, have a career in the music industry. Uh, and I ended up through high school falling more towards music and, and decided that that was going to be the, uh, you know, the passion. So that was sort of where I got introduced to it all and how I fell in love with it. And then I needed to figure out, well, how, do, how does this become a career? Because obviously, you know, you tell your parents when you're in high school, hey, I don't really want to go to college. Um, I, I'm going to be in the music industry. Uh, I have no idea how, but, uh, but I'm going to, you know, figure it out some way. Um, and, you know, obviously at first any, any parent is like, uh, you know, you better have your backup plan. You probably need to get a degree just, you know, in case that doesn't work out. Uh, but fortunately I was, I was able to do some convincing and we, we came to a negotiation where I would go to a small trade school. Uh, I found one in, in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota that looked pretty cool. And, um, and I ended up going out there after high school. Uh, I was there for a year and a half and I was able to cut my teeth on a lot of different types of equipment. Um, I would basically sleep at the school, um, and be in the studio as much as they, until they kicked me out and, uh, just turning knobs and, and plugging in microphones and figuring out wh- why things sounded the way that they did. And, um, just really getting my foundation for things. And, yeah. uh, and then around the time that I was getting ready to graduate, I started thinking about where I needed to go. And, uh, initially my thought was I wanted to move back home. You know, I grew up in Detroit. There's a great, like, you know, community of, of music there and, um, really cool stuff that was really influential to me, you know, growing up. Um, but it was a tough time. Um, the, it was 2006. Um, the recession was just, uh, you know, about to hit the music industries in a tough spot. Detroit mm. was, really rough, um, you know, economically at the time. And, uh, and I, I had bigger visions for, for what I felt like I could accomplish and what my goals were with, with my music. So I knew I needed to go to a major music town and uh, I ended up landing, landing on Nashville. It's a good thing you did. Uh, so I moved to Nashville for a job at a uh, major recording studio here in town. And, uh, through some miscommunication, um, I got here in that, uh, job that internship that was uh, intended to lead to a job uh, didn't end up working out because of some uh, some paperwork and stuff that the school had an issue with. And um, long story short, uh, I moved there. I had a lease on a place, and I finally thought I had my first kind of like in to start climbing the ladder in the industry, and that kind of all fell apart uh, very mm. quickly. And uh, the industry was in a in a tough spot. Recording commercial recording studios were in a tough spot. Uh, there's not a lot of jobs. As far as like, you know, traditional jobs, like being hired as a staff, you know, person. And, uh, I had to figure out if I was going to be able to make it, you know, make it happen. The agreement that I made with myself was that I was just going to start building my career as a freelance, uh, engineer and producer. And I just hit the ground running, going out and trying to find, meet as many artists as I could. And anyone that would let me put a microphone in front of them, um, I started, uh, started recording them. And, uh, that was really the, I guess start of my entrepreneurial spirit in the recording industry was never being able to find a uh, an internship or a, a job entry level job at a at a studio. 
good thing that you didn't because it forced you to grow, you know? It's another one. Yeah, of those I think situations. it was the greatest thing that never happened. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there was at the time it was devastating because I thought that that was what I needed in order to you know climb the ranks and and uh, you know and get there. And it, I, I don't know if it's harder one way or the other, but it was definitely a challenge to try to figure out where you know the next gig is going to come from yeah. uh, in that way. But I read a lot of books about business in general. Uh, I read a lot about the music industry. I knocked down every door I could to find mentors to give me advice and guidance. And luckily, Nashville has a great community of people that are usually really willing to at least get point you in the right direction or, or give you some good advice. Uh, and I was fortunate to have some really strong mentors, um, you know, that helped me grow. And uh, and then I, I, I sort of had this grand, I started to, to formulate this grander vision of instead of just being a freelancer, I want to create a, um, a, a company and a brand that can support artists at a, um, at a, at a high level and be a very collaborative approach. So instead of just offering a technical service, um, I wanted to be able to find my place as a leading producer in the industry by finding talent that I could collaborate with, building with them and growing with their, their careers. And that's really where the foundation of the record shop and my mission for helping artists achieve their vision, um, started to stem from. Well, I think now more than ever, so many people can relate to your situation of, there not being that entry level position, no matter what field you're in, really, to be honest, like music or otherwise, it just it seems like, and maybe it's just confirmation bias because of you know the circle of, of folks that we hang out with, but it seems like everybody is just trying to elbow their way into some sort of niche and you know lay their lay their flag in the uh, stick their flag in the ground with maybe a few other people who they are friends with and work well with and sort of build it from there. Um, and, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think you've got a lot of great insight and I know one of your passions, obviously, as you've said, is to sort of help people find that for themselves. I think you've got a lot of great insight that's val- more valuable now than it ever has been before. Well, especially the mind map thing that, I mean, I feel like that's more valuable now than, uh, we haven't even talked about your mind map thing, have we? Um, yeah. So that really stemmed out of. Um, trying to find a solution to a problem in the in the industry and looking at my career and what were the things that I learned along the way that were a foundation for being able to build uh, a reputation, uh, a network, um, the, the relationships that were necessary to grow and to find uh, my niche and then be able to diversify that and do a sustainable long-term you know, business model. And what I what I've seen a lot in the past few years is a lot of training on in the in the uh, recording industry side of things. There's a lot of training about mixing and recording and uh, little tips and tricks and that sort of thing. And that's all great. It's in- incredible. Um, there's also on the artist side of things um, a ton of courses on how to get more followers and how to build your social media, um, how to get on Spotify playlists, um, how to book you know better shows and you know and that sort of stuff, which is all very important information. But what I found is I was working with artists that were in that developmental stage and teaching um, the you know engineers that were looking to start a career uh, was that that the the skills and the understanding of that only go so far if you don't have the foundation of why you're doing it, who you're trying to reach, and what your value is that you're adding to the market. Uh, because uh, you know the great thing about um, you know, business and the in you know uh, uh, economics is that if we have something of value and we can provide valuable service, um, you can find people that that would uh, utilize it. Um, but you have to figure out how to present that in a in a way that's going to differentiate yourself. 
So I sort of looked at all the things that I hear a lot about in the business side of things and read a lot about when I was starting to figure out how to establish a career as a, as a freelance person. And I, I noticed that there was all these other courses about all the technical stuff, but there wasn't a lot about the foundation of what we have to build that supports the application of all of the technical things. So we looked at the mind map program as being a way to combine art and commerce. Uh, the more that I talk to artists about, let's develop a marketing strategy for your social media and try to you know build this out. Uh, they were more interested in what's the hack that I can use to get you know another thousand followers today. Uh, that, and because what's more, what what is 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 social media really like a you know a sexy thing for artists to have to worry about? I mean, not not really for the you know for the most part they what they want to create music and they want to get on a stage and perform. Uh, and it, and it feels a little awkward to go out and, and kind of self promote yourself, you know, in that way. So we needed to look at, well, what is, what is the purpose behind what you're doing? Who are you trying to reach? And let's get creative about how we can develop the business around what you do. So it supports you being able to create art because that becomes a little bit of a uncomfortable conversation a lot for creatives when we get into, you know, finances and how we're actually profiting from the art that we're creating. Uh, and it's a tricky thing because our, we want our art to be authentic and representative of, of the um, impact that we want to have on, on the world and on people and the, the connections that we have. Um, but in order to reach those people, we have to have a foundation of business, I think. So I tried to figure out a way to create a little bit of structure in that way um, to help, help create a foundation for artists that they could use and apply to the long-term growth of their business in the modern uh, music industry. That sounds amazing. I mean, I've I've always been, you know, one of my personal mantras has always been like, I love doing the music stuff. I love creating. I love making records. I like writing songs. I love to play. If you've got questions about how to promote this, I'm not your guy because I'm the worst <laughs> at, at, at anything sort of promotional uh, in nature. Um, so recently I found a lot of value in investing some resources into uh, someone who helps me with my social media. Uh, and not only has the reach of my social media accounts sort of uh, grown a little bit, we were able to promote my latest Spotify release and get like a thousand streams in a handful of days, which for me was amazing. I hadn't had a thousand streams in the past year. So I was like super excited about that. Right. And um, so I, fa I found that not only is it um, because it's like you're saying, people think, well, how many followers do I have? You know, if I, if I spend this much money, the numbers going to go up this much. Right. But it's the way that that the effect of sort of putting your energy and your resources into uh, expanding that reach and having that sort of business sensibility and, and trying to figure out who your who your intended audience is, all that kind of stuff, how that actually folds back into uh, your creative uh your motivation to keep creating and keep working it's like now i'm excited about my next release now i'm like when can i get back in the studio to record more music and it's not just because i've got that itch to make music because i'm a creative person it's also now being fueled by this like what well, we did look at all the stuff we just did let's do let's do that again but better and figure out more stuff and it's like so I, I think there's a lot of value there, and I think if people are considering uh, and they have the resources available, it's, it's totally worthwhile, and it's more than just like a superficial kind of, you know, I need to get more followers on Instagram kind of situation. Are those yeah. services that you're describing 
available uh, to anybody who reaches out to you? Or is it kind of if they're working, you know, is it part of being uh, the producer on their record that they also get that service? Or how can people sort of um, reach out to you and, and sort of enlist you for some of those services? Uh, well, the mind map um, course itself is a course that anyone can take. There's no restrictions on that. You can go to the the site. You can choose the you know the plan or the option that you want, and you can start right away. Uh, I also do a lot of one on one consulting uh, with artists, and that that gets more in a you know in a deeper level. And that's a very selective thing that I don't advertise as much. Um, but if someone reaches out to me, or if I'm already working with an artist that needs that support, uh, then it becomes part of our our working relationship. And uh, so much of that just comes with hiring me as a producer, uh, if if they need it. Um, and then, but there's some people that in between projects need that need that support, uh, and it's something that I do on you know on a consistent basis. I think it might be helpful to give some examples of of how we can uh, of how it's kind of like in our in our program or in my process with artists, um, how I've been able to help them find some of those foundational things. Yeah, yeah, please by all means. Uh, I think one of the things that comes up a lot is how an artist uh, represents who they are as an artist. So this happens in every like kind of networking event when you go out to a conference, when you meet new people, uh, and they say, well, hey, what do you do? And uh, so for myself, as an example, uh, when, when someone would ask me that question a few years ago, uh, I would say, well, I'm a producer engineer. I have a company called The Record Shop. Uh, I help artists with, um, with making records, but we also support them with you know, video content. We do live recordings. I help them build out their digital media, uh, connect them with uh, promoters and you know, marketing, and, and like people's eyes roll back in their head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say all of that because I felt like, well, I don't know what this person's looking for, and I want to make sure that it's clear that I uh, am showcasing all of the great things that I can do, you know? Um, and, but I, I realized that that it's not really necessary. What, what's necessary is to figure out the, the unique way of describing holistically what it is that you are. And so I came up with this term uh, that when people ask me what I do, I say, I'm a sonic storyteller. And I feel like within that, that, that is comprehensive of the things that I do. It's also a unique way of describing the job of a producer. Uh, my job is to tell the artist's story, and I do that through through sound. Uh, and then I also help them do that through through visuals. But when I share the idea of a sonic storyteller with them, uh, then most people will ask me, well, what does that entail? Uh, and then we get into a deeper conversation about, about what it is without me feeling like I have to rattle off all of my qualifications in order to um, feel like I'm, uh, you know, at maybe adding value to a potential, you know, relationship. Yeah. So one of the processes that I go through with artists is, uh, is in a similar way. Um, how are you going to represent yourself when someone asks you what you do? So I, we, I talk with individual artists or we have worksheets on our mind map program that we, that artists can take them through, uh, and a video that guides you through this process. Um, but we start with some foundational questions, uh, like what inspires you to create music? What is the impact that you want your music to have? Uh, who is your target, um, demographic? Uh, what is the, the general like topic or feeling or emotions that you want people to have when they listen to your music? And then we start to look at that terminology and then start try to craft it into a really um, thought provoking sentence that describes uh, who an artist is. Mm. And um, I have an artist that I'm working with right now that we just went through that process. And uh, she went, she went from something to the extent uh, of, of saying that she, she'd like her music to have an impact on people uh, to, or, or to help people in, you know, in some way or for her music to connect with people. Uh, into a phrase that was along the lines, not the exact quote, um, but along the lines of, I want to create music to connect people together because music has the ability to empower people to heal. Mm. And 
when she shares that with people, then people ask her more about her story. And then she shares her story about her background and how music changed her life, actually saved her life. And, uh, and has helped her be able to share her story with other people that, uh, are in similar, you know, challenging situations. And, uh, and she really intends her impact to have her music to have that type of impact. Now it doesn't all have to be as, you know, serious as that. Um, we have another artist that, uh, that, that their kind of mantra is uh, to, to spread love and positivity. And their music and their vibe and their shows uh, are all in, encompassing of that feeling. When you go there, you feel the love, you feel the positive energy. Uh, and it doesn't have to be all serious. It can be fun and, you know, and a great time, but, but it's, uh, it's authentic and it's purposeful. And so that's one example of, uh, you know, how do you start a conversation and stand out, especially in a town like Nashville, where every night until this all happened, you know, we're all out and about around, you know, going from one showcase or writer's round to another, um, trying to find the, you know, the place where you might, you know, meet the next connection that you might be able to collaborate with in some way. And uh, everybody kind of has the same story, you know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a writer, um, you know, just kind of working on trying to find a pub deal or I've, or, or I'm, you know, established writer. I've had a couple, you know, hits or I'm a, um, you know, work for the, this marketing company. Um, regardless of what your creative, you know, craft is, I, I find that in, it may be a little bit too like over the top guru-esque of like thinking, but I've had a great personal response from when I, uh, share what I do in that sort of depth. Uh, but I think it has to be authentic. You can't just like try to yes. come up with some trendy way of saying something. Uh, I think it really has to ring true to who you are and, you know, and what you do. Uh, so that's one, one example of, uh, of, uh, you know, how I try to figure out how to help an artist differentiate and start to determine what those things are. Now, the impact that that has is not just in uh, a scenario where you might meet a new person. Now you take that, uh, mantra that you've created around your music and you take it with you to every recording session, to every time that you get on stage and you sing in front of people. You want to make sure, am I being true to my mission every time I'm presenting myself as an artist? When I'm writing new songs, when I'm being creative, when I'm thinking about uh, my next social media post, you know, is the energy, is the, the lifestyle and like culture that I'm sharing around my music in line with what my larger form mission is? Uh, and, and I think that that's a, in uh, my belief is that that's a creative way to think about branding that doesn't get like too deep, like businessy, but can still be a, you know, a creative emotional way that an artist can connect to and feel, uh, comfortable with, you know, sharing in, you know, in that way. Well, it's, it's not, uh, the nice thing about it is it's not like advertising, like, Oh, we're going to brand you as this sort of person. It's like, well, what's the reason that you're making music? Like figure that out and you will make better music. You'll have better performances, better recordings, everything. Absolutely. Um, and then also too have more impact when you talk to someone because it's true when when you hear somebody talk about their music and they say something like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I think music connects people. I'm like, that's too vague. That almost sounds like a lie to me, you know? Like, uh, mm -hmm. I want to hear something genuine. So that is really neat. Just to be clear, the website for for this um, is uh, mindmaptribe.com, right? Yep. Okay, great, cool. Yeah, and we'll uh, link yep. that in the show notes. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, you know, like, I, I guess... So many people haven't even stopped to think about this. Like I certainly haven't, you know, like no, if, you, yeah. if you, you know, if you, if you, Sean asked me like, what's your mission when you make music or what's your, like, I would just sit here dumbfounded for a few minutes and probably come up with some bogus answer. That's, you know, like, uh, and I, you know, I'm, so, I, I'm such a admittedly poor, um, self promoter. My girlfriend, uh, sort of hit me to this kind of early on in our relationship. She's like, 
you don't sell yourself when people ask you what you do. You just say, like, usually when people ask me what I do, I, I just say, yeah, I, you know, I play music for a living. And, like, it almost sounds unofficial and not like sounds I, like you're a plumber. I don't <laughs> believe it. You know, I, I like, I don't even believe that I do it or something like that. And, uh, and so eventually I, I mutated down into like, yeah, like I'm, uh, uh, what do I say now? Like I'm a freelance musician or like I'm a, fr- a professional musician and, um, to folks who aren't in, uh, the music business, uh, sometimes that's, uh, interesting enough for them to be like, oh, tell me more. Like, what's that's got to be super cool. Like, I work in an office. Like, I wish I could do what you do. Blah blah blah. But when you're in a, <laughs> a town like Nashville, where every other person uh, that you run into is, you know, they've got a demo tape and they're like, please take this, listen to it. And you know, you you say you're a musician. It's just like you said. It's you can see people tuning out. You know, as soon as you start talking to them, and there's no worse feeling than when you're somebody asks you a question, you start answering it, and you can tell they're not listening. Uh, but the yeah. the the connecting thread that I hear from from uh, w- what you're describing, Sean, is that you're you're piquing their interest somehow. Where now they're asking you more questions and more questions, and now instead of rattling off your your bio and your elevator pitch that you you know put together, your two hundred and fifty words, or dropping all the names you can as quick as you can. Um, Right. Exactly. It's like now you get a chance to tell your story. You get a chance to explain who you are because this person is now invested in learning more about you. So I, I think it's super yeah. brilliant, and it's something that that I certainly need to to put some thought into. And on, above, mm-hmm. I, I know I'm kind of just reiterating everything you just said, but above all above all of that, it's like now you have something to give yourself uh, direction. It's like you said when you face adversity, you go back to that that sort of, um, what would you call it? The mission statement. Like, what, what am I here? What am I trying to do? Why, you know, and, and, and you have that to fall back on rather than kind of just aimlessly doing things because it feels like the thing you're supposed to be doing at the time, right? Because it feels good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, the challenge of overcoming the consistent and uh, relentless adversity in this business is probably the, mo- one of, probably the most challenging thing. Uh, because you feel like one day you're on top of the world, everything is going right, and the next day you feel like your career's over. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it's just it's this roller coaster ride. And if there's not that purpose behind it, if you can't go back to something that's there, you run the risk of eventually just burning out. Uh, and and I, I think I, I firmly believe in the idea of of kind of going back to that purpose and being able to look at it, um, and also being able to look at the small steps that you're making along the way. So that challenge with adversity um led me actually in the in the in the topic of adversity there's an amazing book that i think every artist uh needs to read it's called for everyone it's written by an author named jason reynolds and the book is a it's actually a poem um that was that was written but they turned it into to a book and it was kind of directed towards children um but when i when i read it and uh, I'm, i'm part of a um a group called tiny book club here in nashville that was started by two songwriters named claude kelly and chuck harmony and they own a creative company called Weirdo Workshop um, here in Nashville. And they are big proponents of creating art for the purpose of making art and, uh, and, and really being true to yourself. And they created this community event uh, where every, uh, every few weeks we read a small book under 200 pages uh, that has something to do with maybe bettering ourselves or positivity or you know, growth in some way. And this was one of the books that they shared. 
after uh, that uh, meeting, I bought a box of them from Amazon, and I've been handing them out and sending them to to everybody because it had such an impact. That's on a me. great idea. Wow. But the basic premise of the of the book is understanding that the it's it's really a, a eloquent way of, of of saying that it's it's more about the journey than the than the destination. But we know when you hear that quote, it's kind of you know it's a Instagram meme that we've heard a bunch of times. You're like, yeah, it's great, all positivity and stuff, but that's not helping me feel good right now because right now this sucks, you know. Mm-hmm. And what I uh, but what I got out of it was a way of looking at that whole process in just sort of a deeper way. The expectations that we have when we're when we're young for. Uh, what our accomplishments are going to be, and then when we reach those peaks, uh, how how short that excitement lasts until you realize that now you're just in a new level. So once you've stepped up to that level that you had dreamed of being in, now you're there, and now the people that you're around are at the level above you, and now you want to be up at that level. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to that next stage, then you're around the people that are above that level. And it's a, it's a constant, that's the, the, I think the beauty of the journey, but also the most challenging part of it, because if we don't have a foothold in the perspective of where we came from and the foundation for why we're doing it, then we're always going to be chasing something else instead of, um, chasing that fulfillment that we feel through the passion that we're following. So that book for me, like gave me a lot of peace of mind. And I think that it could help every creative person, uh, pretty much every human being, but uh, definitely every every creative person. So uh, a practice that I started to implement in my in my career years ago that I've now t- uh, b- is, has been a part of a lot of the talks that I give is creating a prosperity plan. Uh, and uh, it's a fancy way for saying a schedule with goals. Mm. Uh, my, my partner with MindMap uh, is a speaker named Ricky Mendez, and he came up with the term prosperity plan. And we, we collaborated on creating this idea about how to manage your schedule. So the, the, the basic idea, the starting point, I'll give it to you in a few simple steps. Uh, you, you look at your maybe five long-term goals. What are the things that you want to achieve in the next, next couple of years? Then you look at the short-term things that you can do to move towards those goals, and you make a list of those underneath your long-term goals. Uh, you set that aside. Now you grab your calendar. Some people have a written calendar. I use iCal because I have all Apple devices. Um, you know, some people might use uh, like the Google Calendar. You know, whatever you have, however you schedule your appointments. Now you look at your uh, your day, your weekly schedule, and let's say that you're not full time in the music industry yet. So maybe you got a nine to five job or you got a part time gig. Um, so you, you that's already on your schedule. You know that you have to do that. Now you're playing some shows on the on the weekends. Maybe you're playing. Maybe you're playing with a couple artists, or you're an artist that has some gigs. You have that on your schedule. Um. Then you have to determine what are my working hours. And by working hours, I don't mean the time that we're getting paid to work. I mean the time that we're working on our future. What I determined my working hours to be um, is uh, pretty much 6 a.m. to 10 10 p.m. And uh, I laid out uh, a couple uh, different ways of figuring out how to manage that time. What I realized is that once I put my responsibilities, like the things that I absolutely had to do uh, on my schedule, we have so much more time left that we don't um, organize in a way that can be as effective. Uh, and one of those reasons is that as creatives, we don't love structure. Like the whole reason we wanted to get into you know, music is because there's no rules. We can do what we want. We yeah. can rebel, you know? And, uh, and so that, that whole idea of like having a schedule and like responsibilities and all of that, you know, it doesn't feel great on the surface. Uh, but I found a, a couple ways to, to get over that. And then I found through the practice of doing this that, my uh, my career and my fulfillment and my focus just uh, exploded. 
So the first thing that I did is you figure out what are you going to do every morning to set the tone for your day. And so I call that our morning ritual. Uh, my morning ritual at this point is pretty complex. It lasts a, a, a couple hours. Um, it, uh, it, it starts with eating something, make sure that I'm, uh, that I have a small breakfast to give my body some energy. Uh, when I wake up, breakfast is super important, um, to our well-being and our metabolism and our energy. Um, and our brain needs that fuel. So if you want to be creative, you got to make sure that you're putting your body full of great stuff. And, uh, and then I work out for about an hour and a half. Um, after I get, uh, back from working out, um, I read for about, uh, 20 minutes, uh, meditate, and then I review my goals. Uh, then I start my day. Uh, once I, that, now this is what I do now. A few years ago, I did not do that. It was like, sure. you know, maybe 15 minutes in the morning, like a little bit of like reading some articles or something, you know, but I had a practice. And so when you start this, it could be five minutes of, uh, gratitude, which is kind of a cliche thing to talk about, but it puts so much great energy in your life. Uh, and I do all of this before I look at a phone, before I pick up a device, or look at an email, before I have any distraction that's going to throw my body into a reactive state. I want my mind to be in a receptive state to prepare myself for the day. So I get through my, uh, my ritual, and, uh, and then I work on um, preparing for my day for about an hour. So from like 9 to 10, um, I answer emails, I return phone calls, I look at um, you know, scheduling, kind of deal with any sort of you know, general like housekeeping that needs to be done. And then generally speaking, from 10 a.m. until about 8 p.m., um, each day, I'm pretty much in sessions, uh, in, in some form, whether, whether I'm in a session or the studio's booked and I'm in like in a meeting, but I'm going to schedule out my day, you know, that way. And then, um, around eight or 9 PM, sometimes as late as 10, but I try to get a cutoff around that time and be consistent with it. I review my schedule for the following day. And that helps me set the tone for what's going to happen the next day. And it allows me to wake up again, not in like a reactive state, like, oh, oh my God, what do I need to do? What's the first thing? What did I forget? Am I forgetting about this, you know, meeting I needed to get to, you know, I already have the play by play in my head. I know what needs to happen. Now, once you have that sort of uh, foundation laid out, you have your responsibilities laid out on your schedule. Now you see all the extra time. So let's take for a, a day where I have maybe three hours of time in between sessions from that 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. period. I go over to my list that I made when I started, short-term goals that are going to move me towards my, my long-term um, accomplishments. And I take one of those goals or one of those actions that are going to move towards those long-term goals, and I put that in that spot on my calendar. Yeah. So I've committed to, I'm going to do something to further my career today beyond just the work, that, the, the, you know, the physical work that I'm doing or the tangible stuff that is already required of me. And uh, I found that if I could just do like one thing a day, I started like just that simple. It was just going to be one thing. And it might be 15 minutes, might be 30 minutes, maybe an hour. But I focus my energy and my time specifically on that. And, and through that, when you do that for a week, at the end of the week, let's say if you just work Monday through Friday, you have five things that you did that were moving you towards that next bigger, long-term, greater, later goal in your life. Once you do that for a month and six months and a year, the momentum and the energy that comes from being able to look back, even when you have like the worst day, you still got something done and there was still something that was moving you towards that. All of that momentum starts to build up. And when you have consistent action, even on a small scale, you get massive results. At least I have in the artists that I've worked with that have implemented this practice have had really great results as well. Uh, and what I found is that by having this structure, 
It um because the, the first thing that people say is well yeah I mean that seems like a lot of work uh, well I, I ask them how bad do you want to be successful yeah and if you want it bad enough you'll take the time and put the work in but beyond that it also seems like a lot of structure I can't really like schedule in when I'm going to be inspired to write a song uh, I can't like you know schedule in when I'm going to get creative about you know creating a, a new like uh, social media campaign or something right um, technically you can't. But if you go through this process and put your mind in a constant state of of gratitude, positivity, growth, um, uh, you know the mindset of I'm going to accomplish something today, your brain is is in that state of trying to solve problems and be creative. So I found personally that when I had more of this structured um, process and I was being inspired by those little actions that I took every day that I became more creative because I didn't have to worry about, oh, when do I need to be at that thing? And am I doing enough today to do this? And, oh, I should have done that social media thing, but I didn't do that because I wanted to play a video game, you know, or what, whatever it was. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, f- I have that, the, the sort of foundational things already worked out. So my uh, subconscious can be focused on creativity. And then I started getting all these like cool ideas and these new things that would stem out of the new education that I was doing or the new, new learning that I was doing. Um, and it can be as simple as just doing some research on on a topic that you want to better yourself on, mm. uh, or just committing like thirty minutes to come up with a with a dozen social media posts that you can put in an archive and start to um, you know put out you know when you need to. Uh, and so that that's one thing that I've found that has helped a lot uh, with growth, but also has helped me overcome that adversity of feeling like things aren't moving fast enough. I'm not getting anywhere because I can look back at those little tiny steps that I made and then they turn into massive results uh, over time. And it's given me a lot of fuel to be able to keep moving when things aren't looking so great in my mind. Wow. It's neat because it ties in like exactly with what you're saying. Like the thing that you were saying before, oh, what's your mission statement? What are you doing? What, like, why are you doing what you're doing? And it's like the whole mind map thing showing that to artists ties in with your your mission statement of like supporting people and it's not just like oh i perform a service of recording or i am like a player it's like you're you're supporting them and like teaching them how to be better and like developing their career uh in a way which is really neat yeah well that's what and that's what i'm passionate about so i yes. don't um share my story in saying that everyone should do the same thing yes uh, i know people that are really great mixing engineers and they're just really great mixing engineers but they provide really great service so they're reliable um, they have a great client base they have great customer service they promote themselves well on social media they network well build good relationships you know all of that um, but maybe they do that you know that one service i don't think that you necessarily have to yes. be as you know diversified in that way that's just the direction that that my career ended up taking because of what i what i became really passionate about yeah so i think that's an important thing to mention in the is you know, in the conversation it isn't required to to mm. do exactly how you did it but it's just cool to to have a very clear answer for why do you why do you like music why do you like being a musician why do you want to continue this because if you can't find a good answer for that then why would you continue? <laughs> it's also a very good exercise in, in deciding if this is a career that, that you're meant for. Yep. Yep. So what does that uh, calendar of yours look like now that we're all sort of in quarantine? And has it changed? That's a great question. How might you uh, help folks who are sort of feeling... Um, I think a lot of us thought, this is great. This is like, this is the hyperbolic gravity chamber or whatever. I don't know if you... 
you're a <laughs> draggable nerd like the rest of us, but it's like it's a training grounds for us to uh, to work on our stuff. I'm going to get so much practicing done. I'm going to get so much this yeah. or that done. And I think in, in in reality, a lot of us have found that the halting of society in a lot of ways really halts your own drive and desire to um, keep moving forward. Do you have any suggestions for for how folks can overcome that and, and how has your process changed or adapted to the current circumstances? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's a question that I've talked about a lot in the past uh, few weeks. When your routine gets uprooted, it becomes really challenging to maintain productivity. Uh, because one, you're overwhelmed by how much time you do have. You're not sure where to start. Mm. And when, uh, when the, when the certain things that were sort of naturally already in your, in your process fulfilling you in that way, get taken away in some way, you get excited about maybe opportunity to do some other things, but you haven't built a practice of implementing stuff like that or, or managing your time in that way, uh, be, you know, before. So, uh, for me, I recognize that if I didn't make a commitment to myself to maintain my routine, that this was going to be a very challenging time because there's too much time, too many things you want to do. Uh, and, uh, and I needed to make sure that I was staying consistent on what my goals were. Now I was very fortunate because for years I've already followed this structure and I've, I've built a routine for myself that works really well for me and a system. But I did have a conscious thought when all of this, when, when this started and I found out that our studio was going to have to shut down with in-person sessions, I made a commitment that my routine was not going to change. I wasn't going to get up three hours later. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't going to you know, stay up super late and I wasn't going to stop eating healthy. I wasn't going to stop exercising and doing my uh, you know, morning ritual, uh, the, you know, the, those things. The, what, what shifted for me was that I, now I had a little bit more room on my schedule to do some of those things that I had wanted to do that I don't always have time for. So for me, uh, the first thing was it went right into education. Uh, I immediately signed up for masterclass because I just wanted to expand like education in different things, uh, which I thought was, was, has been so much fun. Um, I learned magic, uh, from Penn and Teller. I learned about comedy from Steve Martin. Um, Reba has an incredible, um, uh, thing that, that is a really great like introduction for, maybe beginning artist uh, to kind of see how the music industry works and stuff. Um, and, uh, and uh, who's the other, uh, Chris Voss, um, who was a FBI negotiator. Um, he has a really great um, uh, whole segment or, or training on negotiation. Um, I love that guy. His energy is, is incredible. Uh, and so like, so I, I dove into education. Um, the other thing that I, I have this ongoing list of things that I apply to those little openings in my schedule of things that I want to work on. Yes. And, in in the normal scenario where I'm very busy with sessions and you know and work, I only get a couple of those things done um, throughout the week these days. You know, it used to be that every day I would have something like that, There's some time for that. Um, now it's uh, a few times a week. I, I've, before this happened, I would have a few times a week. Now I have every day again. So now it just became I need to maintain my routine, and I'm going to put the I'm going to go back to when I when back when I had more time on the schedule. I'm just going to add more of those little things in. Uh, and continue to uh, you know to to, to work on them. Uh, so I think um, it's just uh, for me, it's like maintaining a routine, um, yeah. and it could be as simple as just like getting up and and like if you know if, if you don't have as in depth of like a morning thing that you know that I do, just get up and take a shower and put some good clothes on and um, and just laying around and you know and that sort of thing. Maybe different for different people on how they like to deal with this, but I, th- I think if people have been chilling that way, you've probably done it long enough to where you're probably sick of it now. You know. 
So I wanted to make sure whether there was somebody here or not. I mean, I'm on Zoom all day, so I want to make sure that I'm presentable, but um, I have pants on. And that's been like the, you know, the common joke is like, yeah, what's, what's, uh, uh, but you know, below the, the webcam. Uh, and, uh, but I've, I've, uh, I, I made a, a commitment. I'm going to get up. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself the same way that I would. I'm going to maintain my routine and, uh, and keep it going. Now I will say that that's been a challenge. It absolutely yes. has. And that's where I've had to go back a lot to my, my foundation, uh, my long-term goals. Uh, I can't let this time be a like pause button on my, on my career, um, or my, my growth or the impact that I can have with artists. Uh, I just needed to dive in even deeper to thinking about new ways to, you know, to work. Uh, I think it's, it has a lot to do with perspective also. So when we're in a situation like this, there's different ways of approaching it. You can look at a crisis and you can say, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. Everything just changed. Uh, and be really freaked out and stressed about it, which is a natural response. There's nothing wrong with having that response. But once your mind goes to that place, the I think the next move is to switch the perspective, switch the way that you look at it into what is my opportunity now? Instead of what are the things that aren't happening, what are the things that I can do? Yes. Uh, what do I have time for now that I didn't have time for before? It's so like you guys said, a lot of people maybe had that thought about, oh, now I have time to do this and this and this, but now it's hard to implement that. Yes. Well, we go back to what our what our purpose is and what our goals are and look at the impact of what that action is going to have. So I want to spend more time uh, playing guitar. Well, let's think about this. If uh, all the guitar players that are now not able to get on stage and play, how many of them are sitting at home working on their chops, bettering themselves? How much more competition are you going to have if you don't do the same thing or work yes. even harder? I want to make sure that I'm always working harder than the next person to on myself, you know, for growth and to be able to stay competitive and add the most value that I can to the people that I work with. So, um, you just have to find ways to motivate yourself, I think. And, uh, and, and so, and we have to look at it from the perspective of what do we have the opportunity for and what is the benefit that we will get out of doing this and use that as the motivation, uh, you know, to keep going instead of just like the interest and like, Oh, well, it's cool. I got this extra time now. I'd like to do this. Why do I have to do this? What yeah. what is it that's gonna? Um, how is this gonna you know help me in the long term? And what am I doing now to prepare myself for you know as things start to you know come back come back to normal? That is a good point. That yeah, everybody else is going to be. Yeah, well, you should be thinking of it as everybody else is going to be, you know, busting their butts, trying to come out of this stronger. And if you come out of this the same or weaker, it's not it's not a good situation. I think, um, I think like, uh, in addition to that, like, and I've touched on this before, I, I've had trouble, uh, I think that, that sort of like, um, mm, like fear of, you know, I'm going to fall behind isn't always enough to get me to sit down and practice. And, and as like a, as a singer, first and foremost, um, uh, I, I found that what I was missing the most during quarantine, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, is the feeling of performing for somebody or a group of people. Like even just to play a patio gig at a restaurant where like, you know, two out of 20 people are actually listening to you. Like I would love to do that, you know? And uh, one thing that I found that that gave me that instant gratification and sort of made me step up to the plate was st- live streaming. And I know that Mike's been 
experimenting with this as well as a yep. way to get himself to sit down and practice. I know, Mike, you just sort of you're working through your exercises, you're working through songs that you're learning yeah. and stuff like that. But because it is in front of an audience or a perceived audience, at least it gives you that juice to like, you know, you don't want to let them down. Like if I'm, you know, if I'm practicing a song in my bedroom and singing and I'm like thinking like, um, you know, getting in my own head a little bit, worrying about if the neighbors can hear me and my voice doesn't feel that good today and blah, blah, blah. But if the camera's on and there's one person that's maybe watching, then I'm working hard. Um, so I think it's important for people to also consider like, is there something that you could be some some sort of factor you could be adding in that's going to encourage you to show up? And for me, that was the thing that that got me excited about some sort of accountability. You mean? Yeah, and just motivation yeah, to yeah. sit down and practice. Like now, if I if I if I don't do my stream every Monday afternoon and play songs for whoever shows up, some you know somebody might be like, oh, why didn't he show up? And the, the, I would let them down, yeah. you know. And I don't want to do that, yeah. you know. Even though, you know, there's not that many people watching, but it's like, that's just, that's the, that's what it does to my head. And, and therefore I want to, you know, uh, do, do my thing, play music, right. Instead of just sitting around and, and not, uh, doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Finding, finding accountability or, or places for accountability is really important. Yeah. I think that one way that we can hold ourselves accountable is to make, uh, set goals for your career and then read those goals every morning and every night. Yeah. Keep them in your wallet, in your pocket, by your by your bed. And if you do that on a regular basis, they're going to be so ingrained in your mind of what it, what your next steps are that when you need to make that decision about whether you do or do not do something, your subconscious is going to say, hey, dude, you told me this morning that this was your goal. And yeah. if you don't take this action today, are you moving towards that goal? Or are you wasting time and ta- you know, taking a step backwards? But I do understand that we haven't all developed that level of maybe willpower, you know, or persistence yet. Uh, yeah, uh, and you know, to it. And uh, the idea of what it, what is talked about a lot is like a mastermind, uh, you know, a group of of people that are connected together for you know for a similar purpose or for the purpose of uh, of one person's goals. Um, having someone else that can help help to hold you you know accountable. So having challenges, you know, like when the Fitbit came out. And then everybody would have challenges with who could get the most steps, you know, every day. Uh, and I know a lot of my friends would do that. And um, and so, they, but you had that accountability of like, man, I'm going to go out and go for a walk instead of sitting down and watching TV because I know that I got to keep up with, um, you know, with with my buddy, and I'm going to win this, you know, competition, whatever the, you know, five bucks that you're betting on, or who's yeah. going to buy like, you know, the the next round or something like that. Uh, and uh, I think that we can do that with ourselves too. So. Think about maybe a friend that you have that's a that's a musician that might struggle with similar things, and say, "Hey, let's make a let's make a, a commitment to each other um, that we're gonna do like this, you know, the, this set of you know things each day or each week or whatever." Um, and I'm gonna send you like a picture of me doing that or you know whatever whatever the thing is. But having accountability with another person and, and working together for the betterment of uh, of both of you um, can be a be a really great way of looking at that also. Mm-hmm. Uh, this podcast is testament to that. Like, if we weren't, yep, right. If we weren't working together on this, there's no way it would be coming out every week, you know, uh, on time, et cetera, et cetera. I- I'm wondering, Sean, if you could give us uh, an <laughs> example of, um, uh, if you'd be willing, of of one of your large goals and maybe a couple of the small ones that you're sort of using as steps to uh, achieve that. 
Um, one of my large goals is to win a Grammy award. Uh, the my purpose b- behind that is that uh, the beauty of the the Grammy process is that it's voted on by your peers, and I believe that if I was able to create a project that would be voted on by my per- by my peers as the best project that year in a specific category. Um, that I will have, in order to do that, I will have to have excelled my skill set to uh, beyond a master level and have also uh, be forced to position myself in a way to develop an artist to the point where they are able to be at that scale in their career. And so that's a specific goal that I have, but in, in the, and I have the purpose behind it is being, is being that. Um, not just so I can have a Grammy sitting on, you know, sitting on my desk and say, hey, look at that. Um, but because I know that by doing that, I will have had to raise my, uh, my abilities, uh, you know, to a certain level. And, uh, and so one of the, the kind of like goals or actionable things towards doing that is that I always have to question myself in every mix that I finish in every, um, vocal that I'm recording and every track that I'm building or producing, uh, every time that I have a band in a room and we're working through it and deciding when is this, you know, good enough. I go back to like, am I raising the level of or threshold of, of what is acceptable uh, for me? And uh, we, um, we only continue to get in life what we accept. And mm-hmm. as soon as you raise your level of acceptance, then you can raise your level of success. And that, that's been my, my focus in that, you know, that specific goal. Uh, there was a goal that I had that's a little more like uh, tangible um, in uh, early on. Uh, was to be able to make uh, make a living only from recording music. So that was when I first moved to town. And uh, I had a part-time job DJing at a club downtown, which is a way to uh, pay my bills. And then I had another gig um, recording voiceovers at a, at, a, at a studio where I was the engineer recording um, you know, voiceovers. Uh, I learned a lot from that, from that job, but it, it wasn't necessarily what I, I, de- I determined to be part of that goal of just making a living by... Uh, you know, recording, I wanted to make a living by producing, you know, recording with, uh, you know, with artists. And, uh, and so I had to look at um, what are my expenses and what are, what is the, uh, you know, the amount that I would need to make on a weekly basis. Then I broke that down to a daily basis. Um, and then I broke that down to like an hourly basis. And then I needed to get to a point where I was providing a level of service that I could warrant charging X amount per hour and that I was, um, offering, uh, or getting enough client retention, you know, having people come back and continue to work with you that I could build up a client base that would allow me to have consistent clients. So one of the steps to move towards that goal of making a living strictly from recording music was to make sure that I, uh, met, met someone new or, or made it or reached out to someone new every day. So I would set aside like 30 minutes in the morning and I would, um, Back then, I think it was like MySpace that I would uh, crawl through and try to find find artists. And then there's a, 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 a publication here in Nashville called the Nashville Scene. And uh, a lot of the this uh, they have great articles on the physical edition now, but now a lot of like the show bookings and stuff are all online. So if I were doing this now, I would go online. But back then, I'd, I'd go down to the gas station, I'd get the Nashville Scene, I'd open it up, and it would have a list of all the shows for the week. I would look through those shows, and then I would go on on uh, on MySpace or just go online and start uh, Googling um, artists, and I would find uh, writers or artists that were playing at those shows that fell into a couple categories uh, that were somewhat new to town, that whose music that I enjoyed, uh, that didn't seem to have their whole team around them yet, uh, and that um, and that hadn't released like a totally commercial like record in the past like year or few months. 
And if they fall into the fall fell into all of those categories, I would go to that show and I would make it. Uh, I would make a commitment to myself that I was going to introduce myself to that artist at that show, and I would do that um, every night. Uh, uh, once I would go to at least one show every night, uh, as long as I wasn't in a session. And uh, and early on, I was not in a session every night, so there was plenty of time to go out and uh, you know and do that. And, uh, and so through, through doing that, I start, that was one of the commitments that I made to that larger goal. If I was going to be able to make a living strictly through music, I had to build a pretty substantial client base. What is the best way for me to build a client base? Well, I'm new to town. I don't have a huge resume. Um, I don't have a bunch of accolades that are just going to bring people to me. Uh, I'm not getting a bunch of referrals because I don't have a bunch of relationships yet. I don't know anybody. Uh, so the only way that I can really find clients right now is going out and meeting people, you know, face to face. I would say that that could be related now to maybe going on and starting uh, conversations on social media. Um, but I still believe that there's definitely a, as soon as we get back to, you know, live shows and gathering together and all wow. of that, that there's a lot of power of just going out and meeting someone face to face. I'm so glad you said face to face. Um, because I've believed that for, for many, many years that, uh, just in my experience, it's not enough to, um, to reach out to people on social media and try to, Try to grow your your uh, relationships that way. But if you are going to reach out to social media uh, on social media, like um, uh, Addie, who is your intern, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, she's a student at Belmont and uh, interning for me. Reached out to us and sent like a beautiful long email. Said, "Hey, I really liked your episode about uh, with Will Hebs. I really liked your episode with Rich. I think your podcast is really cool. We'd love to do something." And it's like. I'm going to read that email and I'm going to respond to it. The one that's yes. clearly somebody's just going control V, control V, control V and just hitting up every uh you know, you're not going to get the hits back and I know it's it's um it's time consuming, right? But that 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 personality, that uh, taking that extra time um to the point where you 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 can tell that they're not just hitting every single person on the list. They're looking for people who actually fit uh, the you know the the characteristics that they're looking for. Like you said, I want an artist who I think sounds good. I'm not just going to work with somebody who I don't like their music and like it's basic stuff like that. It, it's it's super super important. Um, well, and ties back right. into the mission statement too. Yes. Yeah, that's an that's an incredible point. Uh, that's something that um that that uh, that I did not recognize early on, and when I moved to town or before I moved to town and was looking for like an internship or or a job, um I was I was totally that person. I copy and pasted emails uh, to every single studio, every single producer I could find, um and uh, and I didn't get like any responses, you know. Uh, so I started to think about okay, well, how can I like craft this message in a different way? And at that time was you know was reading a lot of business books about relationship building and connecting with people and started to learn about the importance of providing value, the importance of finding a personal connection, you know, that sort of thing. And then I started to adjust that approach. And exactly as you described, I wanted to make sure that when I was reaching out to someone, I told them authentically why and, uh, and that I was reaching out to them for a specific purpose and, uh, and what that purpose was. And then the value that I thought that I could provide to what they were doing and then asking for help. Would you be open to having a conversation? Um, is there a way that I could you know, help you with something, uh, that would allow me the opportunity to be able to, you know, be in your presence or be involved in, you know, in your team or community yes. and figuring out how I could provide value first. That was one of the biggest lessons that I got from a lot of the research that I did, uh, early on when I was figuring things out and what I did not know at all, 
uh, when I started. So now, fast forward, I own a business. I get dozens of emails every week from people that are looking for jobs, that are looking for internships. And I would say probably 90 to 95% of them are all copy and pasted emails that have no um, pers- like personal connection to them. Uh, it's pretty much just a, a blanket informational statement. I am so-and-so. I just graduated from here. I'm looking for a job. And um, I respond to everyone, but I respond to those emails with a suggestion. And my suggestion is to, why is it that you reached out to me? Uh, what, you know, what are you interested in? Um, what are your goals? And what is it that you could do to add value to what we're doing? And uh, it's funny, not very many people ended up emailing me back, but I've made a commitment to, and, and you can imagine why, but I, I, I made a commitment to um, replying to everyone because no one replied to me and it took me a long time to figure that out. So I tell them like very politely, I'd be open to, you know, being pitched on the potential of helping you out, but I need to know why. And here's the things that are necessary to do this. And I would really recommend that you do that with every message that you send out, you know? Um, and many people will yeah. reply back and say, man, thank you. So, you know, you're the only person that responded. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> but, you mm-hmm. know, this is, this is why, but I want to be of service in that way and, you know, and help people, even if they might not be a good fit for us, hopefully the information that I can give them through my experience will help them find their fit you know, somewhere else. Uh, so I help, so I help them, um, you know, craft it in that way. Now the ones that do come in that way, absolutely. They get a little bit more attention and I know right away if, or if not, you know, they would be, they would be a good fit. Um, and there's someone that, that came in that's, uh, that's been apprenticing here for the past couple months, uh, who got, uh, the job apprenticing with me, not because of his experience, um, or, uh, necessarily like, I didn't know much about his talent, but, uh, but he didn't have as much experience as I would have been looking for, but he, uh, he made a proposition. He, he said, I, I am committed to doing this. I'm going to pick up my stuff. I'm going to move to Nashville. I just need somewhere to learn. Would you be willing to help me? And I couldn't say no. Cause I was like, dude, yeah. you said everything you're supposed to say. So I said, absolutely. We'll figure something out. You come to town, you can hang out here. I'll find something for, for you to do. Uh, I'll, fi- I'll find a way to help help you out, and I'll give you uh, you know an opportunity or an environment to be able to learn from and network in, you know, and grow. Uh, and I, f- I firmly believe that's that's the way to you know to represent yourself in you know in every aspect of what you're looking to do, whether you're looking for a job or you're an artist looking for you know for a connection. Um, you know, start with what the what the value is. Start with the personal connection and you know why you're legitimately like legitimately why you're reaching out to them. And, uh, and just don't start off by just asking for something. Uh, you, you know, if it's advice, that could be a, you know, a good that's place a to start to, maybe. Um, but see what you can do to help. A, yeah. That's first. a great motto and, and, and a great, uh, situation that there that you spoke of is it's a call back to your own sort of wanting to come to Nashville and, and looking for your first sort of foot in the door experience. So it's almost like you get to kind of pay that whole cycle forward or backward or however you want to think of it. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 if you're comfortable, I, I want to ask you uh, a question just about negotiation, just about sort of, because, you know, when you start out, you're, maybe you're doing a bunch of stuff for free. I know when, when me and the guys I work with, when we produced our first track, it was literally just like, we said to each other, it's like, we just want to do this. We want to learn. We don't know what we're doing yet. Let's just put out a post and say, who wants a free song? And See if anybody does, and if they do, then it's great. It's an opportunity for us to start trying to to make music. So we were doing a lot of stuff for free. When I played my first gigs, they were for free. At some point, you get money somehow. Either somebody offers, says, hey, will you 
do it for a hundred bucks and you're like, yeah, awesome. Or maybe you say, you, you know, maybe you've got the, the, the confidence to say, you know, well, I, I need, I need this much or I, I, and it's such a, I'm getting like icky feelings already. Cause it's such a difficult subject for me to talk about. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to try to, I don't know, set your rates or sort of, cl- you know, uh, have some, some steps towards making a living and how to negotiate if you do, if you do that at all. I've sort of come to the, this, the place I'm in now is like, this is what my rate is. And, you know, if, 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 the, if people want to sort of nickel and dime and negotiate, I, I don't really do that. Like, I, I, but I don't know if that's the right approach or not. And then there's some projects where I'm just like, I want to do this so badly. I don't care what it pays and I'll, I'll do it, but you don't want to get taken advantage of. There's so many, you can see, you can hear how anxious I am about this whole subject. <laughs> do you have any advice or? It's a major challenge. Uh, I think it really stems from the fact that we're creating art and it's really challenging for us to think about that as a business side of things and like put a value on it, you know, in that way. But we have to recognize that there is a value in all of the training that we've done and what, you know, what all the practice that we've done and how we've built ourselves to a place where we can, we can do this skill at a very high level. What's really interesting is that the music industry is one of, one of the only places that are, that is this like drastically like that. Um, like, could you imagine like, calling a plumber and telling him, Hey, I need you to fix my toilet. I'll put it, I'll put a sign out in front yeah. of my house and I'll give you exposure. Um, no, but you need to do no. it for free. Right. You think that you think you're going to find anybody to do that. Um, and so, but in the music industry, for some reason it's become, I mean, I, we, we know why, because, you know, because it's art and it's looked at, you know, a little bit differently. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, I don't think that there's any one rule. Uh, there's, it's definitely, a, for me, it was always a situation based thing. I did, find that I needed to set a foundational rate. And when I started, I made that rate really low. I think I charged people like $15 an hour to record them when I first moved to Nashville because I knew that I needed to be competitive. I didn't have the same resume. I also didn't have the same level of equipment that other people did. Um, but, um, but I, but I want, and I wanted to start at something that was like totally reasonable that it would be challenging for people to, you know, to want to negotiate with. Then I got a really um, strong lesson. <laughs> I started to find that people were still trying to negotiate with me, and they would they would come in and, and you know and be like, "Well, what if I book like you know four hours? I'm like, it's fifteen dollars an hour. Like, you want to go down the street and pay one hundred and fifty dollars an hour? Uh, you know, uh, just because they have a sure. fancier building? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and not not only because of that, but you know, the, you get the idea. Um, and they uh and and so I, I i the lesson that i learned from that was that there's always going to be people that are kind of just looking for a deal and you know and uh and looking for what they can get for the you know for the least amount and in general those people are probably not the long-term associations that you want to have not even mm-hmm. from like a monetary thing but just from an energy that you're surrounding yourself with because they're not they they don't see the value of investing into their art, which means that they probably aren't as committed um, mm-hmm. if they're going to be unreasonably like ne- trying to negotiate with you, you know. Uh, and uh, and so it's probably not going to be a long term relationship either way, and it's going to be more hassle than it's worth, you know, long term. But when you're just getting started out, and when I was first getting started out, I just wanted to work, so that's where the difficulty, you know, comes into play. 
there was a point where I had to make an uncomfortable decision of just like setting my foot down and saying, okay, I'm charging a really cheap rate. If someone wants to negotiate with the rate, I, I can just tell them like, look, I think this is really affordable. I'll, you know, I'll provide you great service. I, I remind them of the, all the things that I'm going to do, you know, for them outside of just physically recording stuff. But you know, this is what you can rely on me for. You know, this is the specific expertise that I have that would be a good fit for you. And, uh, and if they don't see the, you know, the value within that, then, you know, it's just something you probably, uh, you know, move on from at a certain point, you have to figure out how to, how to start to, you know, raise your rates because you don't, when you start at a, you know, at a, uh, entry level scale, you know, just like any, uh, career, you know, you need to be able to get a raise or give yourself a raise. And, uh, and, and so, uh, one of the ways that I looked at that was investing back into my business. So I would build a client base and then that client would see, oh, Hey, I bought this new microphone. Uh, this new microphone was a $3,000 investment. That's up to the value of the quality that, that you're getting and what I'm able to provide to you. And so I know that I was only charging you this now, but now it's going to be 20 bucks an hour uh, or 25 bucks an hour, you know? Uh, and, and that would start in the, but, but then there was a conversation there where they would see that yeah. they're seeing like, look, this person's investing in what they're doing. They want to make me better. This, then the right people stuck with me. The people that were just kind of hanging in there that were like barely wanting to pay minimum wage for a uh, engineer, um, you know, didn't stick around, but that was okay. Cause that's not the energy that I needed, you know, around me. So I needed to be patient also because the concern was that, well, if I turn this down, then where's the next uh, kind of thing going to come from? What if I don't get mm-hmm. another call in the couple, in the next couple of weeks, I could probably use that 30 bucks, you know? Um, and, uh, and so I just had to make that kind of sacrifice of, uh, you know, of doing that. But I found that over time, it became easier and easier to to do that. And as I started making bigger investments into my you know studio, into what I could offer to people, as I built better relationships, yeah. they understood. It's a the right people at least understood. You know, it's a it's a business and it's growing. Then you start to have certain you know credentials that you can say. Well, you know, I worked on this project and that project, and now my overhead's a little bit higher because now I moved into this larger studio. You know that sort of thing, and um, I, you know, and then, and generally, you know, the people that you want to be working with long term are going to uh, understand that. Now, the idea of free work—this is something that is also a little bit of a of a challenge because you may be in a position where you meet someone that you really love their music, you'd really like to work with them. You probably have the time in your schedule where you could, but you don't want to devalue yourself. Uh, there's a couple ways that I've that I've worked around that uh, in the past. Um, one way very early on was that I would tell them, um, let's do like the, this first project. I'm going to, I'm going to do it, um, on spec to show you what I can do and, and basically give you a sample of, you know, of my work. Now, this isn't something I'm going to be able to do long term um, because this is my career and, uh, and I have paying clients. Um, but I, I really believe in what you can do and I want to show you how I can be a good part of your team and earn the value of that. Now, this was before I had anything else to sell myself yeah. on the value being like, you know, resume, you know, connections, whatever. And, uh, and then I would send them an invoice of the amount that they would have paid mm. at, at market value for the work oh. that I did and then just zero out the invoice uh, and say, this is, I just have to do this for my records, um, you know, but uh, I'm just going to send it over to you. So we have a copy of it. It shows that, you know, that I did the work, we were involved in the project, but you don't have to pay anything. Um, but it just has, you know, the amount that you would have paid. And then the discount is, you know, hundred percent of the, you know, of the cost. And then, um, I found that, uh, it does a couple of things. It reminds them, Hey, I'm, I'm donating my time to this. I'm, I don't, I'm not like worthless. I have value and I'm donating my time to, you know, to what we're doing. 
Um, and then they, they also see like what you're willing to put towards them, you know, and the, you know, and the value of that and, you know, and recognize that, that this isn't, um, you know, just a like hobby thing. It's a, you know, it's a business. And if you have a good relationship with them, the project goes well, um, you know, then they recognize that, um, that it's, that it's, you know, really worth doing that. And then you find that somehow they scrape up, you know, some, some money the next time, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and then you can say, well, Hey, look, I, I, I appreciate you, you know, making the effort to put this together make it happen. Let's, let's do like a discounted rate, you know, this time. So I'll give you, you know, 25% off my rate or whatever. Uh, and we'll, you know, as long as we complete yeah. this many projects or have some sort of stipulation within it that, uh, that provides value, you know, for you as well. Um, and that, that's one way that has helped me transition, uh, very early on, um, the transition, you know, someone into someone that just is looking for something for free, you know, into that. But you have to be very careful about who it is and make sure that you think it's a good investment of your time uh, because it really is like an investment. So some people look at working for free and saying, oh, you should never do that. You're going to devalue yourself and, um, you know, and that. And I think that there's uh, a very good um, reason for saying that in, in uh, if that's all you do is work free. But if you look at a specific scenario and you look at it as a long-term investment, um, that could be something. So I'll give you guys an example of that. I had a friend who, uh, I was a, uh, session, uh, musician and he had been working out of the studio a little bit. Um, we had kind of done a couple of projects together and he got hooked up with this artist that, um, he was, uh, that he was, he was collaborating with, he was doing some writing with and, uh, but he didn't really have like, uh, a, a full studio to be able to like track the demos in and wanted some help building the tracks together. So he hit me up and was like, Hey, I got this guy I'm collaborating with. Um, would you want to do this like co-writing thing? But it's not just co-writing. Like you got to record the vocals and like cut the track, but there's no money. Um, and, uh, and so I just asked a few questions. First of all, I knew the source. The source was someone that I trusted that was very high profile musician. Um, and, uh, the person that he was working with was also um, a high-profile person that had had some great experience. I also liked the music, so it was something that I would enjoy doing. Um, and I saw and I saw the connections that they had within their circle would be a really good opportunity for me to be able to also be connected with, and I thought that I could be of service to them as well. So I agreed to do a project on spec in that situation when I and this was this was a situation yeah. a little later on in my career where I was making a comfortable living from music. Um, but I would agree to do, do that, um, uh, in, in that way where I was not only like co-writing, but I was actually like, you know, doing the production, mixing the track, like doing everything that I would normally get paid for, for free, because I knew what that could potentially lead to. I have experienced a lot of people that have gotten to that point where they're getting paid a little bit for their work. And then they get this opportunity that they don't see the long-term benefit from, and they may not be able to get like their, their full rate or, or they may not be able to get, you know, money at all. And they just say no before they even look into the long-term possibilities of what could, what could be there. Now it's something else that you have to be careful with because music industry, everybody's always talking about, you know, this next big thing that's going to happen. And like, if you jump on this, it's going to, this artist is about to get signed. This is going to turn into this thing, you know, and it doesn't always happen, you know, the way that it looks, but this particular scenario was, one of the first times in my career where I was now at a point where I was making a living strictly for music that I agreed to do something on spec in that way. And it turned out amazing. It led to, um, the, it led to my connection with, um, the country group, big and rich. Um, it led to the first, wow. um, top 10 song on country radio that I worked on the first time that I heard a country song that I performed on a major radio station, you know, 
all that stuff. And, and that all came from that, um, that, you know, that connection of a, of a friend trusting me to even bring the opportunity to work with this other artist, um, to me, uh, and then choosing, you know, to do that, seeing the potential long-term benefit. Um, and then it turned into this really great relationship that I still have now, um, you know, probably t- 10 years later, uh, with all of the people involved. Um, but one thing led to another and it got me in this, you know, this camp of people that is, uh, that I all couldn't be more know. grateful for and the impact that it's had on my career. So, uh, <sighs> so I think that there's, you know, there's, there's no different ways of looking at it. I wish I could say you should do this or do this. And there's some people that would say that, but I, I think the music industry is just too diverse to well, be able to yeah. put it all into like, you know, into, into one box. Uh, I think you just, you know, you just look at that and, um, and I, I think you have to, Look at you know, look at your value and raise the rates where you are, and, and then just recognize that there's some people that you're gonna have to turn away, um, and other people that are gonna be long term, you know, people. Uh, I also had to come to the understanding that the world is abundant, which is another one of those like you know, uh, over uh, cliche, I don't sort know, of like thing. yogi, yeah, yeah. Y- yogi, yoga ish yeah. like ideas or whatever, right? That there's just like there's enough for everybody, right? You know, um, but I've 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 experienced that over and over again. Every time that I thought like, man, I feel uncomfortable about turning this project down because you know I kind of wanted to do it, but these people are just being a pain with negotiation, you know. Um, and and then I'm like, well, what if another big project doesn't come up? Am I going to be down in revenue this month? You know, that sort of thing. Should I, should I have done it? You know. Um, and then I find that when I just stop thinking about that stuff and just keep moving forward, the next thing happens, the next thing happens and, you know, and it keeps rolling. But I think we definitely have to be calculated and careful about, you know, how we approach that. The other thing is that we don't need to feel, um, uh, I know that, that it's, that it can be natural to feel uncomfortable about talking about money, but we shouldn't approach it that way. I think we should look at money as being a great thing. Um, money, money is, you know, is wealth and, you know, and all of that. And sometimes people say, you know, money gets a bad rap because it's a, you know, it can be a negative thing. It can, it can break, you know, break people apart. It can, you know, cause people, someone that's only like money driven is not a good person, you know, all of that. Um, but think about the, you know, when you, when you have that money and that, that wealth or that income to be able to do that, all the great things that you can do with it. And it's not about, um, what, what money is in itself. It's what people do with, you know, with the money. And if your purpose beyond, we go back to the you know the purpose again. If your purpose is uh, is really authentic and genuine about what it is that you hope to accomplish, I think you start to feel mm-hmm. more comfortable about talking about money because you know where it's going. It's not just that you're trying to like you know negotiate somebody yeah. to pay you a little bit more because you're trying to get more out of it. You you're passionate about what you can earn with your business because it's going to allow you to do better and better things and impact more people. Uh, and, and, and have a greater impact on, you know, on your own life. So, um, it's a challenging thing, but we just have to get, you know, more comfortable with it and put yourself in those challenging situations. Um, sometimes you just have to say, man, I can't do it. You know, be, I think be polite about it, but, um, you know, that I'm sorry, that's just not going to work within, you know, my budget. If something changes, I'd love to help you out, you know, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes you can maybe, you know, negotiate a little bit, but once you determine what that value is for yourself, uh, I think you you know you stick with it, and if you present yourself as someone that is um, associated with people that see value in that way, people will value you. If you associate yourself around people that are always looking for like you know what's the cheap thing, or they're not taking their you know their career seriously, or they're just trying to get like a deal on something, then you're around that type of atmosphere and culture around yeah. just like trying to get like the you know the cheap thing or like whatever the you know, lowest option is, but when you turn that away 
and you turn yourself towards the people that are investing in their career and looking at the you know the longer term and they see the value of what you provide then more people are going to see the value in you yeah you're almost casting the wrong net mm-hmm. uh by worrying sweating about those clients that are maybe not the clients you want well said yeah yeah absolutely and they can be the clients you want in the short term they just probably aren't in the long term and that's probably the biggest challenge because Early on, I mean, I couldn't turn all those people away. I needed to take everything that I could to be able to just, you know, buy some ramen and pay my rent and, you know, and, and do that. So you, um, you're, you're sort of required to, you know, early on. Uh, but then you find your ways to, tra- you know, to transition out of that and, you know, move to that, move to that level. And as you get there, you surround yourself yeah. by more people that are in that okay. same, you know, that same world. On a similar, uh, similar topic, do you do? Uh, contracts of any sort of thing in a written manner when you're setting up, hey, we're going to do five songs, here's how it's going to go, 50% up front, 50% when it's done, or f- for an example, or whatever, or do you find that that stuff sort of taints the vibe of of the creative process and you just, you're good with a handshake deal? What's your what's your thoughts on that sort of whole thing? It uh, depends on the project and who's involved. So if it's a label project, there's obviously many contracts involved, and uh, in the in the payment structure and all that is much different uh, than say like an independent project or an independently funded project. And then those projects are different than like a studio booking where someone just rents the studio. So if, if someone is just coming in and booking the studio and working with one of my engineers, um, they just pay a deposit up front to secure the date. They pay the balance when they show up. Uh, or if it's a longer term booking, like say a band's going to book the room for a week, then they pay, you know, they pay for it in advance mm-hmm. to, you know, to hold the dates. Uh, when it comes to the, uh, the self-funded or indie, uh, projects that maybe aren't done through a label, but are done through like an independent, you know, company or just like an up and coming, uh, artist. Um, I generally have a production agreement with them that more just like outlines my involvement as a producer, uh, and then I and then I just break down the budget into each stage of the process. So my process as a producer starts with pre-production and then goes into uh, tracking, um, then editing, uh, then uh, vocal recording, backgrounds, any like specialty instruments that would be added, then mixing, then mastering. Um, so through those like eight stages, I have a, a cost associated with everything that would be potentially included within those. And so that would be like the estimated amount of time that I think that it's going to take the, you know, the overhead cost. So our entire budget gets broken down into all of those stages. And then I only ask for people to pay for those types of artists mm-hmm. to pay for it as we're doing it. Uh, I feel that I want that, that type of artist that is um, trying to find their, their tribe in, you know, in their, in their production team, if I'm working with them for the first time, you know, I want them to feel comfortable. I don't want to throw a bunch of contracts in front of them right away. Um, I don't want to have them pay 50% up front for something sure. that they're still for a relationship that we're still starting. Um, so I, uh, so I do it in, I do it in stages. Uh, we, we, they pay deposits up front, uh, up front, but we pay for it as we go. Um, as opposed to having a huge upfront deposit. And I found that that is very comfortable for people. Um, they don't feel like they're being roped into something that they can't get yeah. out of. I've never had someone want to get out of, you know, it, uh, uh, fortunately. Um, but if someone decided to, uh, I would, I would have no problem with that at all. Like if we had gotten through tracking and they felt like, you know, I, I like where we're going, but I feel like I need, you know, a different type of support with something, you know, I would say, that's awesome. I'll let's, let's get all these files together and let's help you find somebody that, you know, would be a good fit. Um, because I want to work with people that that I connect well with, you know, uh, and I I don't want those artists to be, you know, tied into that. Now 
there's um there's a different process obviously when you're working with a with an artist that's uh, that's signed to a label or that's in a development deal with maybe a publisher or management company or that sort of thing. Um, there's a little bit more of like my personal time investment that might you know go into it. Um, there's um, there's the long term like back end you know revenue that goes into it, and then there's just the structure of that type of agreement. Um, so there's definitely you know agreements with that. Uh, and then uh, as far as the contracts go, outside of like the, the budgeting and how we break down like the payment contract, uh, as far as like the service, uh, the contract or the producer contract, uh, I, I kind of leave that up to the artist in, in, unless it's a you know, major act or established act, but with the independent mm-hmm. artists, um, leave that up to them on how detailed they want to get into it. Uh, I haven't been screwed over yet, and I like working on a handshake and a belief that we're going to collaborate together, create great art, and if I support them in a strong way, I know they're going to support me. And in every case where it's happened that I've started with someone that has then grown into something larger, I've always been compensated for it fairly. And we've always worked that stuff out um, as it's developed. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's 100% my advice for everyone. I've just found that that's the way that I've liked to do things. And it's, you know, it's been comfortable. I, I don't take that approach out of fear of having a contract. I have multiple different types of agreements that I can set in place for any type of deal that we do, even up to just booking a couple hours of studio time. Um, I just decide whether, whether or not it's like it's, I let the artist decide whether or not it's necessary in the front end. And then as we see how a project is developing, then I decide how uh, in depth we need to get with, uh, you know, with agreements. Uh, But again, that's just my personal experience. I would not, uh, by by any means argue with someone that says that you should always have a contract with everything that you do because I think that's also a smart way of you know of approaching things. This is just the way that it's worked for me and until something goes wrong, I'll probably keep approaching things that way. Um, and I have found faith in learning about a lot of other um, producers and really high-end like management companies that work with some of the biggest artists in the world that have like mm. contract or, or, like uh, handshake contracts, you know. Uh, and, and, um, it's just different, you know, different ways of, of looking at it. Now I will say hundred percent there's risk within that. Uh, there have been a couple, a couple times where I've been kind of gypped on like some like backend money because I started working, uh, or like uh final payments on stuff because I started getting too comfortable with someone and kind of working ahead and they hit some hard times and then just kind of like disappeared. That's happened maybe twice in 14 years. Uh, but that, but it'll, you know, it'll happen. It's, you know, part of the deal, but you know, the, I, I've been, I've been, that's how I've liked to, you know, look at things and, uh, and approach the, as far as the, like the agreements and stuff go. I think they're important and put them in place when I feel like they're necessary. And when I feel comfortable to go on a handshake and just, you know, work and trust that we're going to take care of each other, then, you know, I feel good about that also. And is that something that you get a lawyer to draw up or is that something that you've sort of just made yourself or, or found a template for? When I started, I just used templates. Yeah. Um, and then I, I learned that, um, it was great to have a, have a, a lawyer for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that attorneys are really well connected within our industry and they can be valuable assets, um, to us. Um, I've gotten a lot of referrals from, from attorneys that I've worked with and, uh-uh. you know, made a lot of great connections through it. So even just hiring somebody to write up a contract for you can introduce you to their, their whole community, uh, can be, can be a great thing. Um, the, the advantage of having the, uh, the attorney do it is that you, you can also have someone make like uh, small adjustments to it. If you have a, if you have a sort of a standard production agreement and then you have an artist with a unique scenario where you might be structuring um, royalties in a different way or something, uh, or even a, like a payment schedule in a different way or that sort of thing, um, it can be easy to just you know call up the lawyer and say, hey, there's this 
um, the, the, our normal production agreement, I need to switch it to say, you know, these couple things for this specific project. Um, so that can be, that can be helpful. And, uh, and the, the way that deals are being done is always changing. So the other big advantage of working with an attorney is that they're writing the deals all the time and they're reviewing them. So they can give you some insight on like, Hey, you know, last week we did a deal like this. So we did a deal like that. Um, you know, it gives you different ideas about how you might be able to get creative with how you work out deals with clients. It, um, that's, that's all super valuable stuff. And, and some, a lot of things that I hadn't even considered uh, beyond just making sure the contract is, is made well. Um, I want to ask you another thing, sort of businessy, if that's okay, if you're comfortable answering it, uh, is it common for, um, producers to get added on as a songwriter or to get some kind of songwriter share on an artist's thing is that still common and if so could you go over the reasons as to why and and how that sort of um i guess negotiated or how that sort of works in 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 your experience yeah well it depends on the community that community that you're in um so in in and it depends on what you define as a producer so if you're in la and you're working with a lot of pop artists um the producer might be the track um person the the one that's building the the uh the the track that the artist is going to sing to and usually that's that that could be done on the front end and then the artist like top lines it and then records it and that like initial demo production that they did ends up being like the production you know for the project so there's producers like that um then there's producers in in nashville that are more responsible for like the overall directing of the production process so they're going to hire all the musicians they're going to choose the studio um they're going to bring in the um uh the the or choose the studio bring in like the engineer you know, that sort of stuff. And, uh, they might not be actually like playing on the track or, or like building the track. Um, but they're producing the, or directing, you know, the, the term of a producer as a director sort of, you know, role. And, uh, so in, in any case, the, the, in the general way that, uh, that producers are compensated outside of their producer fee, uh, is a producer royalty, um, which could range generally like two to 5%. Um, but those, those, Deals have evolved a lot, and they encompass different things now than they used to, uh, and it depends on you know situation. When it comes to getting credit as a writer uh, in Nashville, it would depend on whether you were the writer. Uh, if in in Nashville, if you get in a room together and you co-write a song and you are involved in that process, then there it's pretty much uh, standard that there's an equal split between the people that are involved in the song. In uh, in L.A. Uh, or New York or uh, even like Atlanta and like the hip hop scene. If you're involved in a song, yeah, the the percentage and the split that you might get as a producer or as a co-writer is is oftentimes dependent upon the in, the number of words that you had uh, involved wow. in it, or whether those words were in the verse or in the hook. And they 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 may they have like kind of like a graph that they might look at to decide who gets what points based on what, the importance of their contribution. Um, Nashville has is, is, is traditionally been more of a of a place where it's a you know an equal split uh, between things. So um, in Nashville, um, some producers have become, uh, in a lot of cases, are like writing the songs with the artist. And I do that in a lot of cases. So when an artist might come in with an idea for a song and it's maybe like halfway developed or maybe even sometimes like almost fully developed but needs some tweaking. And then I'll see some potential in it and I'll suggest to them, hey, I really like this song, but I feel like maybe we could get this, this and this out of it. How would you feel about doing a rewrite with me? And, uh, and making some adjustments to it. And so like in that case, then I might end up being, I would end up being a co-writer uh, on the track with them. 
And uh, I don't I don't recommend that just to get like credit for it. I would only recommend that if it's something that I feel like I could bring something you know to it. Uh, in other cases, in Nashville specifically, um, there's now the the term of producer as what's called the track guy. And the track guy is the dude that's got a laptop and a keyboard and a and a guitar and comes into the um, the writing session uh, as the musical arranger as the song is coming together. So they're sitting there and the and in some cases they're also participating in the melody and the lyric. But a lot of times you have like you know the melody person, kind of a couple lyric people, and then the track guy. They're coming up with this idea and like as they're doing that the track guy is building out um, the recording. And in some cases on the pop side of like country music, those tracks can end up being what you end up hearing on the, on the record, or at least pieces of it end up being that and then get, you know, get added to it. So in that case, those track guys are getting credit as a, um, as a writer. Uh, And then what the publishers found is that they didn't have to pay for demos now uh, in a lot of cases, because the demos being done in the writing session and the track guys getting uh, writing credit uh, and then the demo's there already, so now they don't. They can they can cut down on their their demo budget for stuff. Comes right? out of the artist's end instead. <laughs> it would just depend on you know on the on the involvement that they have in the in the process. Uh, in some cases, there might be a producer that has enough leverage to where they would leverage in part of their contract as being that they would have a portion of the copyright in exchange for a lower maybe production fee or maybe just in exchange for producing that artist. Maybe it's a, you know, a massive producer that, uh, that's going to work with a, you know, a no name artist and they're going to need some sort of equity in the project in order for it to be, you know, worth their, you know, their investment maybe. So there's it, the music business is all made up. All of it can be negotiated and, and, uh, you know, figured out, but those are some of the, um, traditional ways or, or normal ways that things like that might happen. Right on. So that two to five percent you mentioned earlier as a producer, sort of uh, what you might call like a back end, that doesn't come out of the songwriting. That comes from somewhere else. Uh, the producer credit, yeah, that would come from um, from Sound Exchange, from digital streaming uh, royalties, and uh, from sales. I hear you. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, well, I'm out of questions. Mike, do you have any more questions? <laughs> yeah. No. That was like a masterclass. Yeah. Yeah, that was incredible. So I, I, I hope that folks got a lot out of this one because uh, I certainly did. Is there is there anything else you want to touch on, Sean, before maybe we get going? Um, I'd like to tell a story that I love telling when, uh, whenever I have the opportunity to, to speak. It's something that really inspired me, and I'd love to leave people with it as, as a thought around it, just an all-encompassing idea about all the things that we talked about and about being successful following your passion. Yeah, please do, yeah. Uh, I heard this story from a guy named Les Brown, who's one of my favorite speakers. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of Les Brown, go and check him out. Uh, he's amazing. He tells a story about the Chinese bamboo tree, uh, which is a, a very interesting plant. It takes uh, a really long time to grow. And so he paints this picture of this idea, this guy in the Far East, and he's going out every day. He's planted these seeds in the ground in the dirt, and every day he waters this dirt. And uh, nothing happens. But every day he goes out and keeps watering it. And all the people in the town are coming by and they're like, this guy is crazy. Every day he comes out here watering this thing. It's not going anywhere. And uh, what we learn is that the bamboo tree um, grows down before it grows up. So it grows down and creates really deep, really strong roots. And it takes uh, five years for um, for for the bamboo tree to sprout out of the ground. Once it sprouts out of the ground... It grows uh, like 90 feet in two weeks. And so the question that 
you ask yourself is, did it take uh, two weeks to grow 90 feet or did it take five years to grow 90 feet? And we all know what the answer is, <laughs> right. you know, a little bit of a cliche. But I look at that story as such a powerful representation of following your purpose and continuing on every day, making a consistent action towards your progress because you're just building the foundation for when that when you've built up enough of that that you're able to power through to the next level of your career. And it's it's a, just a really great analogy for how a creative business works, really how any entrepreneur's business works, but really in the music business because we have to yeah. struggle over and over and get told no a thousand times before we hear someone say maybe and then we almost get a break and then that falls through and then you go back and and it goes over and over and over again uh in until until finally there's this you know place where uh all of a sudden the stars align things come together and you just sort of like can almost feel like you're skyrocketing to this place uh and in some cases it feels like it happens overnight and people say like where did this overnight success come from well they were working for the past 10 years and now their their time came the opportunity came and uh, it, it's not that, that that everyone's career grows at that rapid of a rate once things happen. It's just the idea that you're building that foundation and all the great things that are happening now that may not be exactly where you want to be yet. They're just growing to ground you and root you there. And then eventually you'll find that thing that, you know, that really, uh, you know, really makes it explode. Now, what's great after that is that the bamboo tree is uh, the bamboo itself is incredibly like limber. Like they use it to create all kinds of stuff because it's so strong. You can bend it, um, you know, it won't break. It's really hard to like get out of the ground because the roots are so deep. And, uh, and that's, that's what happens. Once you create this foundation of working, 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 going after it, and you find the purpose behind it and the belief that you're going to be able to grow, then once you kind of start to hit that adversity again, you have so much strength that hopefully nothing will stop you and you'll, you'll know where you came from and you'll be able to keep powering through everything that happens. That's excellent stuff, man. That's, that's great. That's a great imagery and a great, yeah, uh, yeah a great representation of, of what uh, what the biz is like. I got one more thing for you, actually. Are you uh, you must be a Red Wings fan, yeah. right? Are you also a Preds fan, or is it just Wings all the way? No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> Wings all the way. I grew up in Detroit and played hockey my whole life. I, I saw the Wings win the Stanley Cup in '96 and '97. Uh, my mom took me to the, uh, found a way to get me tickets to the the game, and uh, I saw them win in Detroit. You know, two years. Yeah. Uh, and I am yeah, forever a Red Wings fan and, um, I love Nashville, but I just, I can't be a Predators fan. <laughs> so who do you like on the team right now? I mean, presumably they're going to get back to it eventually. How many, how many more years before the wings are back on top? Ah, uh, yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I prob- probably, I'll, I'll like who, hopefully whoever like they draft next or something. <laughs> or something. Uh, I mean, I grew up in, an, in, in like in the golden era of the, yeah. of the Red Wings, you know, so. Um, I, I mean, I love I love the team and I love the city of Detroit, and so like I, I could I'm just a Detroit you know sports fan in general, uh, and there's just great stories in, in every um, every every team that we have. Well, Sean, we can't thank you enough for uh, for taking the time and coming on and uh, and wanting to do this, man. Uh, hopefully, we can check in with you uh, at some point in the future and see what's what's going on. And uh, this was just a great learning experience for. For me, for sure. Oh so, my gosh! Thank you so much for coming on. People, people need to go to mindmaptribe.com. Get more of this. Absolutely. Yeah, go check it out. 
And um, and feel free to go to my website and, and send me an email. I literally I will respond to everyone. And uh, if anyone's looking for some direction, advice, guidance, um, I don't charge anything for support. Perfect. Uh, so what's what's your website again? TheRecordShopNashville.com. TheRecordShopNashville.com. Right on. And we'll include all that stuff in the show notes so that people can uh, can reach out to you, Sean. Yeah, if they just want to say hey or 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 ask a, ask a question or anything like that. Um. You guys can find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, all the same handle, uh, Alro Music, and you can find the podcast on Instagram, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, uh, at Music Guy Podcast or musicguypodcast.com for the actual website. And Mike can be found on Instagram at Bruno the Meek. The Meek. <laughs> Uh, thanks again to Sean Giovanni for uh, for being on the show, man. This was really, really great and uh, that a, was uh, a marquee yeah. uh, um, uh, episode for for our podcast. So we appreciate it very much, man. Yeah. My pleasure. It was great hanging with you guys. Keep following your passion, man. Likewise. Too. All right. We'll see you guys next week for another episode of the Music Guy Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.